Well, this morning we've been listening to the Bible readings. Dee was reading from Leviticus and Colossians and what Dave was reading in Luke. And all of them talk about, written over, you're talking 3,500 years, and they have that common theme of, what I said earlier, sanctification. What do you do with this relationship we have with God? I want to start out by sharing a, a true story about a guy who was living it out. He didn't know he was, and that wasn't his primary motivation. But this fellow was, was uh, a few years ago in New York City, a construction worker, and his name was Wesley Audrey. And he was standing there on the subway platform with his two young daughters, waiting for a train. That's what you do in New York. <clears throat> Suddenly, another man on the platform apparently suffered from a seizure, and he stumbled and fell off the platform down into the subway tracks. And, you know, that's not good. And just at that moment, the headlights of a rapidly approaching train appeared in the distance in a subway tunnel. And acting quickly and with no thought of himself, Wesley Audrey jumped down onto the tracks with the intent of rescuing this stricken man by dragging him out of the way of the train. But looking at the light coming down the track, he immediately realized, coming too fast, wasn't going to make it, no time to pull the man off the track, so what do you do? Get hit, smacked, and both of them die? Well, Wesley, as quickly as he could, pressed the man down into that hollowed-out space between the two tracks and spread his own body over him to protect him as the train passed over the two of them. Well, what happened? Well, the train cleared Wesley by mere inches, coming close enough to leave grease marks on his knit cap. Whoa! Well, when the train finally came to a halt, first thing Wesley did, kind of poked his head up and looking at the frightened onlookers, you can imagine, and he said, there are two little girls up there. Let them know that their daddy's okay. Wow. Isn't that a great story? Uh, Immediately, and I think for pretty good reason, Wesley Audrey became a national hero. People were deeply moved by, by his uh, experience and by what he um, did for no obvious reason, helping a stranger. <clears throat> he didn't know the man. <clears throat> he had his young daughters to think about. I mean, he's got that responsibility. And what he did was obviously a severe risk to his own life. My marvelous, marvelous story, but... How does that play out? Well, a human being was in desperate need, and Wesley saw it and moved with compassion. And he did what he could to save him, and thankfully, he did. Kind of need to see the follow-up, the different titles they called him. They called him the Subway Superman, what the press called him in one set of news articles. Another, the Harlem Hero. Uh, a good Samaritan saves man on subway train. All kinds of neat headlines. Well, Wesley Audrey was indeed a, quote, good Samaritan. Just like our lessons, both in Leviticus, where it's talking about how to care for those, whether it be grapes and wheat that's fallen left over from the harvest, whether it be caring for the neighbor. Wesley is a flesh and blood, modern, United States, good Samaritan. Well, I'm guessing that many of us, as we've heard his story, and think back to the Good Samaritan story, kind of wondered, you know, if I'd been the one on that subway platform that day, what would I have done? Ever think that? I mean, would I have been courageous as Wesley, or could we say foolish? I'm going to say courageous. 
But I have had what it takes to jump down on those tracks with a train bearing down to help that guy that I don't know, even though my daughters are there, that I'm going to have responsibility to care for. In other words, would I have been a, quote, good Samaritan that day? Well, that's what I want to talk a little bit about, fleshing out this whole idea of good Samaritan. We use the word all the time. We're very familiar with it based on this story that Jesus told, a parable, about a good Samaritan. Not a bad Samaritan, not a mediocre one, but a good one. And of course, the question is, well, what's good about him? Why? Well, the news articles about Wesley uh, suggest, in our entire culture at least, familiar with the idea of a good Samaritan. It implies that, the articles, that they use that phrase. And we even have good Samaritan laws. You know what those are? That means if you're, you're coming along and you find someone, last night, one of the, the elder was talking about, uh, he was looking out his front window, and a, g a gal down at the end of the street was passed out there on, on the corner. And trying to think, well, what do we do? How do we deal with this? And he, he did act on that, called 911, went out and stayed with her until they all came. But he, because of that, potentially, the concern was, was he going to get accused of, of uh, um, malfeasance of some kind of a bad situation, taking advantage of this gal who has passed out. Now, there's good Samaritan laws in our country that protect folks who offer help to someone who had been injured in something like a car accident or a wreck or, or other types of accidents. And that's how it happened with our elder last night. Now, we're more familiar with the, with the command, as Dee read from Leviticus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Not only Leviticus, but what Dave read from our text this morning from Luke 10, 27. And in this parable, you got this young guy, successful, good businessman, respected in the community, respected in the church, feeling pretty good about himself. And so he wanted to kind of get a booster his ego, or that's kind of the impression we get. And his question is, you know, I'm doing all these things. Anything else I got to do, or am I doing pretty good? And therefore, he asked that question. Who is my neighbor? How do you answer that? Well, Jesus' response uh, is ingrained in our memories. Every Sunday school kid has heard that story. We hear it in church all the time because it's such an important um, item and part of our life. The story is told, Jesus did, of a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, about 17 miles, from on the plateaus up in the desert area down through rocky valleys, taking you down to Jericho, which was the, the lowest, this is the lowest city in the, in the world, Jericho is. Uh, it's actually quite beautiful with a lot of date trees and so on. But it's a normal trek. A lot of people went there. But it was also a haven for folks who would prey upon those travelers because it was a Basically, you couldn't get down there any other way, so robbers and thieves would prey on people. And sure enough, some guy gets robbed, gets beaten up, left for dead. And as a result, he's laying there, and then the story goes that Jesus told three fellows, go by, each having an opportunity to help. What'd they do, and why? First one we're told is a priest. Now, surely the priest, you know, God's uh, representative, the guy who served in the temple, certainly he would have stopped and helped, but he didn't. And secondly, one of the board of elders, the, the Levites, so to speak, uh, they, before, uh, on their journey, they looked at and kept going. 
So two church people, you go, whoa, they should have, but they didn't. Instead, they got this foreigner, a Samaritan, we're told. Samaritans, those were folks, they were related to the Jewish folks, but not quite. They had similar blood, but not quite. They were considered second-class Jews by the Jewish folks. So they were not looked upon very, very well. People avoided Samaria, which was just north of Israel. So the Samaritan, he stops, and he looks and going, well, this is not good. But it's obvious, I'm not going to get my hands dirty with this. I'm going to keep going. But he didn't, because we know the rest of the story. He stopped, saw what needed to be done, and he was willing to help folks who were different from himself. Now, I think if we look pretty closely at this parable of the Good Samaritan, we're going to see that Jesus doesn't quite answer the lawyer's question. He said, who's my neighbor? Jesus didn't say, well, this guy's my neighbor, and this guy's my neighbor, and this guy's not, and this guy's not. No, he doesn't answer that with a direct answer. Instead, he tells a story. And the story that Jesus tells isn't so much about who the neighbor is, which is what the lawyer was asking. In other words, what do I have to do? What's the minimum? It's more about how to act in neighborly ways, how to show love to our neighbor, whomever that neighbor might be. And that's the big point. Now, think about it from a Wesley Audrey point of view. Here's this guy, stranger, standing, minding his own business, subway platform, New York. And at the very moment, a man nearby experienced a seizure, fell out of the tracks. And as we know, Wesley jumped down, helped the guy. But suppose it had been a woman who had a stroke and fell onto the track near Audrey. Or maybe a child who tripped and went down on the track. Would Wesley have reacted any differently? Because it's a different person. The different relationship. Would Audrey have acted any differently? Well, I don't think so. It doesn't say, but I don't think so. Because you see, it didn't have to do specifically with who the neighbor was. Far more to do with who Audrey was. Because Audrey was flesh and blood. If you want to know what the Good Samaritan looked like, there he is. He was acting. He was putting himself aside in order to help someone in need. In order to save a life. 2,000 years ago, the parable, the Samaritan traveling on the road did the same thing. Saw a person in need. And he put himself aside to stop and help. And of course, you get the obvious question for ourselves. How would we do it? Would we? Would be, we be a Wesley or not? And you can find justification in all sides of that answer. We'll see in just a moment. About 30 years ago, there was a famous experiment conducted with seminary students. These are folks that are preparing to become pastors. And the researchers, they gathered a group of ministry students in a classroom and told them that each of them had an assignment. Okay, that's what students get. And their assignment was to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it was going to be recorded. But the twist was the recordings were to be done in a building on the other side of the campus. While being on a, tr a tight schedule, they needed to hurry to get to that building. Okay, not unusual for students. But what they didn't know, the assignment really had far more to do with the passage, the going from one building to the next, than it did to the explaining of the parable. Because unbeknownst to the students, on the path, this other building, researchers had planted an actor to play the part of a man in distress. 
They had him slumped in an alley and he was coughing and, and pretty obvious in suffering in some fashion. So what's the test? They had to get to this assignment, which was important. They needed to do it. But you also got this guy lying. What would happen? The research wondered when they actually encountered a man in need. Hmm. Pretty good test. Well, what do you think did? How'd they do? Not well. In fact, almost all of them rushed past the hurting man. One student even stepped over the man's body as he hurried to teach about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, we, we can't talk smugly about those students and thought, well, that's kind of hypocritical because how would we respond? In part, we, we probably really don't know until we're in that situation because any action we're taking has why we're doing it. It might be because of family, we've got an assignment, got to get to work, all these different things. Would I stop and help? Boy, that's a tough one. So I don't think we can look down on these young seminary students who, who didn't put the parable of the Good Samaritan into practice. You know, simply knowing in our minds what the right thing to do does not mean we can do it. <laughs> I know an awful lot of stuff I oughta, shoulda, do, but I don't always. And I'm guessing these situations are part of that conundrum that we find ourselves in. And so, are we going to be a good Samaritan? What does that mean? Well, it probably takes more than simply changing our minds. It takes a change of heart. And that's really what I think this parable is all about. A change of heart. An attitude. I'm always big on attitudes and why people do what they're doing. And what I'm hoping that we understand is God wants us to move our focus from simply legalistic thinking to loving action. You see, when the lawyer asked his question of Jesus 2,000 years ago, he wasn't looking truly for how he could help his neighbor as much as he was. How am I doing? Am I doing pretty good? The focus was on him, not on the needs of others. And he was looking for some measurement, something he could quantify. I did this, 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 and this, and I did this, this, and this, and this, and I didn't do that. That's kind of what he was looking for. He wanted a checklist. Okay. If there was a priest that was in the, in, in, if he was falling down, I'd help him, but not a Samaritan. How about some other folks, someone of a different color, a different sex, a different generic background? What about all those folks? Are they my neighbors? Do I stop and help them? How about the Jews? Well, of course I'd stop from my fellow Jew, but those Romans, mm, no way, not going to happen. So how does Jesus answer that question of who's my neighbor? He doesn't say a specific group. He tells a story. And that story, that parable, wasn't something a person could measure. And that's part of what Jesus wanted, an attitudinal change, a perspective, a focus on something other than just doing the minimum. I went to church this week. I gave my tithe. I attended a meeting. I did this and I did that. I'm pretty good. No, because... Putting our actions into, our, our thoughts into actions is not quantifiable. It simply won't fit into a nice little checklist because Jesus' answer was all about, what's the four-letter word? Love. And love, my friends, is more than things that we have to get done to make someone happy. It's more than a feeling. It's choices that we make and why we make them. You see, love is about so much more than 
who we love. It's about how we love. And that starts up here. Rules and checklists, okay, that's good. I like, I like to know what I'm supposed to do and when I'm supposed to do it. That's fine. Every parent has to do that with the kids and teachers and bosses and all that stuff. But love can't always be prescribed on how you care for the needs of others. Your situation is different from this other. How do you deal with that? Think about it this way. A man's in the service profession, whatever it might be, something that helps people. Every morning he gets up, heads to work with a smile on his face because he knows that he's going to help someone that day. That's a good thing. And when he gets to his office, he clocks in, he, he checks his voicemails, responds to a few emails, chats with the, some of the folks at the water cooler, and then his first client comes in. And happily, he goes about his work assisting that client with her need, whatever it might be, financial or otherwise. And then the next client, and the next. And this goes on day after day, going fine, doing his duty, enjoying helping people. Until one day, when as this man is making his way to work, he sees a, a battered woman in a doorway. He couldn't miss her. She's sitting there in a doorstep, all bruised and crying. In the house behind her, he hears angry shouts. It's pretty obvious that things weren't going well. You might call it domestic abuse, probably. And every day, the man was going about his business of showing love for his neighbor. That's what he did for a living, working to alleviate the needs of his clients. But then he sees this gal in the doorway. What's he going to do? Well, his helping at the job was part of his company's expectation. But when the man stops to help or doesn't help this bruised and broken woman sitting on the doorstep, that's when he shows true neighborly love. And that's not easy because it's not neat and clean and regulated. Stopping to help the woman is going to make him late to work, put him at risk of meeting the same brutal wrath that the woman met at the hands of whoever was in the house yelling and screaming. Yet the guy chose to stop and help. He sees someone who really needs help and he loves enough to stop and offer help. In this case, the physical aspect. You see, love of neighbor is not calculating and restraining as though we're merely fulfilling some Christian duty. Now, love of neighbor, one might say, is foolishly extravagant and lavish. Attitudinally, heart. Not trying to do his duty. The point that he is not aware of duty at all is what the Good Samaritan's all about. He wasn't doing it because I've got to do it. It's because he had that compassion, the same compassion as he received from Jesus himself. Samaritan thought of himself not primarily as a Samaritan, as an ethnic individual of a certain class, but as a human being. So to him, the important thing was not that a Jew was in need of help, but that a human was. And we can love God only because God has first loved. Isn't that true? that we see people as God made them, which is not necessarily a particular group just like me, but it's the folks that God created, which is whom? Everyone. For whom did Jesus die? Everyone. You know, we're able, my friends, to love our neighbors in Christian sense only because we've been first loved by God. 
Robert uh, Worthnow, he's a professor at Princeton University. He once conducted some research about why some folks are generous and compassionate, while others are not. I mean, I think you've experienced that too, haven't you? Well, he found out that for many compassionate folks, something has happened to them. They were the recipients of someone providing compassion and care toward them. And that experience, he found, had transformed their lives, how they viewed life, how they viewed other human beings. All of us here this morning, my friends, are here because someone has acted with compassion towards us. Starting, of course, I'm hoping, with family, with close loved ones, people we've grown up with, hopefully that, but for sure because Jesus has shown us mercy and love. That's who's acted on our behalf, first of all, and in the most extraordinary way, right? Giving his life on that cross to die for us. Didn't have to, but he did. That's extravagant. And our lives have been transformed as a result, right? That's why we're sitting here this morning. So here's what's at stake. It's a question of whether we will use the God-given revelation of love and grace as a way of bolstering our own sense of uh, isolated security on the one hand, or will we see it as a call and a challenge to extend that love and grace to the world? I've received it. What am I going to do with it? That's the sanctification. What am I going to do with the faith? What that means practically is no longer can we as individuals as, or as a church be satisfied with easy definition of love, which allows us to watch most of the world lying half dead in the road. We've been called to act out in some fashion, as well as to feel, talk, and think. Because Christ has first loved us. So the question at the heart of the parable, the Good Samaritan, not the lawyer's question of who's my neighbor, no. The question is who has been neighbor to you? Well, we know the answer to that. Jesus Christ has been neighbor to you. He's the one who stepped in when you wouldn't have had to. The crucified one has been neighbor to you and to me. I'm hoping you've felt his mercy and I hope that it's transformed your lives and make you, your own heart, merciful. Because when it does, when we leave these walls and this room today, hopefully our hearts and minds will be able to have a deeper understanding of what it means when Jesus said, go and do likewise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.